Today is, uh, we're continuing, it is June 21st, 2020, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week in prayer. We'll start with Father's Day thought. Okay. Father's Day, Father's Day thought. The role of the Father. As we consider what God has done by giving us the role of Father, we should be reminded that God is the one who designed such terms in the first place. The role of Father ultimately speaks more of what God is trying to tell us about himself than it does about being a father or mother. Certainly, God has tremendous responsibility. He look, we look to him for strength, depends on him for wisdom and rely on his faithfulness. Having said that, when things don't go right, God is often blamed without an understanding of his plan. Both God the Father and God the Son exemplify the Father's role. Yes, Jesus is also called the everlasting Father too. Why? Because it is the Father's eternal purpose that we are seeing unfold in the universe. When it comes to redemption, the Son executed his plan, providing salvation to all who will believe. So both the Father and Son exemplify the Father's role. God the Father must consider, strategize, and adopt a course of action. Then we must also execute and follow through with the plan, providing for those under his authority. Then ultimately, he is responsible that the plan does work. Then there is no way we can live up to this analogy of God perfectly. However, we can strive to learn from his example. As a father, you should know that the plan for the family rests with you, knowing that you have those who depend on you, look to you for support and trust in your wisdom. Please make sure you have a plan. Think ahead, strategize, and then execute and follow through. Provide a way for your family. Consider them before yourself. Then he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with them, graciously give us all things? The father sacrificed his son, and the son sacrificed his life for us. Many children have had the benefit and example of growing up with a loving father. Some have not. The others have stepped into the father's role to provide. I thank God for such a rich analogy and example he sets for us. In your home, with your children, stand up and be fathers. Have a plan, provide a way, and those under you will be truly blessed. Thank God for fathers today. Happy Father's Day. At this time, we'll have the thought of the week. All right. Thank you, Bill. And the thought of the week is titled, More Than You Can Now.
thing we should learn in life is to respect our limitations. I know there is a lot of talk out there about positive thinking and believing that there is nothing we cannot do. I am not trying to be negative here, but biblically realistic. There are some things we cannot do, and there are things that we can do, but we need God's help. One prerequisite in believing the good news, the gospel, is we had to first hear and believe the bad news. What we inherit from Adam can be considered limitation to knowing God. But there is no one who understands, as taken from Romans 3.11, says the apostle. However, all is not lost. God has a solution. That solution depends on us realizing our depravity and helplessness presented to us by the Holy Spirit and reaching out for his solution. There is no shame in us realizing our condition and looking for help. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? From Romans 7.24. For sure, when we align with God's power, then all things are possible. And we are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Taken from Ephesians And that is the thought of the week, and I'd like to offer some commentary on that. Just a simple gospel, the salvation that we talked about in there. So how can we believe this bad news or the good news um, if it's not something we understand? Or how can we understand something we don't hear? To begin this incredible journey of growing into the fullness of God and knowing the length, height, and depth of Christ's love and God's eternal plan for us, just listen attentively. God merely asks for us to show up. He has done all the work. Our job is to listen, understand, and believe. And then all of these things will be added unto us. And that is my commentary. And now Dave will give us a prayer. Hey. Do anyone have any special prayer requests they want to set forth to the right with the God? Yes. Uh, we just heard that Kenny was rushed to the hospital. So um, asking for prayer for him. I'll pray for the nation and Okay. We came to the Lord of Grace. Dearly Father, we come to you, Lord, on this Sunday, on this Father's Day, asking you, Lord, to look over us as we in this world going through our lives. So I'm the Father. We ask you, Lord, to help you, Father, look over words through Christian church. Um, we ask you, Lord, to protect those who are on this call and protect those who are far away. Lord, we ask you, Father, to look over Kenny as he's going through a difficult time, as he got to go through his, his dealing 
through but what he's got to go through, Father. We want to send a prayer request to him and have the doctrine over his father and whatever will it is, Father. And we know he's in your hands, Father. Father, we ask you to look over our church, look over, look, ask you to look over Bill, the white, and our pastor, and Fred, every father. We know Fred is working, Father. We ask you to have father to strengthen and guide him, Father. Father, we ask you also, Father, to look over Corinne, Father, as she's all, as will be heard, that she's suspected, Father. Father, we know that you, in all things, we know the good comes through you, Father, and nothing evil comes to you. We know all the things, Father, that you are adhered to, Father. So we ask you, Lord, to strengthen us, encourage us to lightness with love, Father. As we continue to serve, Father, we ask you, the Lord, to look over past as you give us the word of truth and all sincerity. Father, we ask you to amen in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Amen. For, amen. for that. And, and also, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. It is Father's Day. So I want to uh, continue with where we left off in um, John 14, 21. We started it last week, and we're hopefully looking at finishing it this week we will see so in 1421 you have notes uh, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me and the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them as the spiritual dynamics of the church continue to develop our Lord gives more understanding of the new way of life to come a new dispensation was on the horizon, and the eleven disciples would need to pay close attention to the Lord and the Spirit of Truth when He comes. With their theological worldview dashed, they had to depend on the signs, wonders, and miracles as the sure direction of God's leading. They believed in Christ, they trusted Him for sure, but He kept saying these strange things that were hard to reconcile. Then he spoke of leaving them. They had to make some important decisions about Christ. I can imagine they were some restless nights. What they did take away from their experience was to trust in Christ, trust in his words, even though they did not have a context or frame of reference for them. The same trust that led them to follow him for three years, leaving their families and businesses. As I write these words, I confirm that the church continues to stand on this firm foundation. Quote, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Unquote. That's John 14, 11. So we tried to dissect this passage is quite detailed. Uh, there's a lot in here. And uh, we got all the way down to point number three here. I will not repeat what we covered already. I'll try not to. Although there is some things I think that need emphasis. So we'll look at a couple points in three and then we'll move right into four. So in three, C it says, love is the genuine and mature, mature motivation to which we should aspire. And that is 
uh, important. And we covered Ephesians three seventeen through 19, and we put those together. We make sure, when I say together, I just want to say that we want to make sure we see those things in context. The part that love has to do with our motivation uh, of pursuing God and how we understand and grasp or get to these higher levels of understanding. It is love. And there's another thought, which I don't have in the notes here. But First John talks about love being made perfect. So that love, it gives us the understanding that love grows. It is a matter of spiritual growth. It is not the moment you believe in Christ, you love uh, God in the way that this is speaking of. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 <clears throat> tells us that there's uh, things that eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. Thing that, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And earlier in that chapter, it talks about God has a message of wisdom for the mature and uh, those who this wisdom was destined for our glory before time began. But he links this wisdom to the mature. So just to note, there is some expectation that love is has to do with spiritual growth. So as I said, we grow in wisdom and knowledge on the one hand, but we're also hopefully growing in love on the other hand. Otherwise, we become bored and distracted and uncaring about the things of God. <clears throat> so keeping that love, that fervor, is important. In Revelation chapter 3, it talks about uh, one of the churches have lost their first love. And then, uh, so there's a lot that we can glean from the word and speaking of it in this way. But it's important for us to see that that is our motivation because guess what? It's God's. It's God the Father's. It's his motivation for all things, for calling us from eternity past. He did it in love. And love for his motivation to fulfill the plan of the Father that he has before us. Okay. So one of the things we saw in point F, as we tried to understand what does it mean from being loved by my Father. And the thing I left you with was the fact that it seems that Christ is speaking in terms of reward or as a natural consequence of um, loving him, that he would do certain things for us. If you love me, keep my commandments, right? It'll show that you're, this is how you show you love by executing the plan because you love the plan, not because it's a matter of duty that you have to do it, but it's because you love it. And then he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter. And, but that verse doesn't finish until he says, on that day, you will know that I am in the Father. You are in me and I am in you. You will know it, right? And so as a consequence of you loving me, you're doing what I say, you're following through with what I've been telling you, then this will happen on Pentecost. 
when the Spirit comes. So that is, so we find when we get to verse 20 and 21 and, 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 and onward, we see love is important. <clears throat> love is a condition in each of these uh, verses. We see, if you love me, and here's the, the one who loves me, this and that, right? So if you go to verse 20, it says, that's the reality. On that day you will realize I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And verse 21 starts with the thought. And, and whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me, well, there's some consequences as a result of that will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So it seems like showing myself to them is a matter or a result that is directly related to the one who loves me. And we already said loving Christ is loving the Father because everything Christ has, the mind of Christ, is it comes from the Father. We saw that in John 16 very clearly, hopefully. We, we see that the Father's plan is in Christ. And we talked about the relationship of Christ has the role of Son and everything that comes from the Father belongs to Him because He is in that role. And <clears throat> so the Father has invested all things in Christ. You are in Christ. So all of this, I hope, you are seeing as part of your destiny as well. So, understanding that reciprocal nature of, I love him, and reciprocally, the Father's presence comes. The Son's presence comes. That's what we saw. <clears throat> Even down to verse 14 and 23. <clears throat> Stand by. So 23, <clears throat> anyone who loves me, again, here we are again with this loves, will obey my teaching. And my Father will love them. And what will be the result of the Father loving and Christ <clears throat> loving us? And we will come to them, make our home with them. We will be at home. In verse 24, anyone who does not love me, well, what would that mean? They don't obey my teaching. They don't follow through with what I've been telling you. And what primarily Christ has been telling them is that there's this new age dawning. It's the church age, and I'm leaving, and I'm going to go to be with the Father, and I'm going to send the Spirit, right? The Father's going to send the Spirit in the name of the Son, and all this is going to happen, right? This is what he's been telling them, and I need you all to stay together, Right? There are things that you must have. You must have love for one another. Right? I know we're all different. And I, I understand that. But stay together. And more so with this group. Because they became the foundation of the church. Right? The church is built on the foundation of apostles, prophets. With Christ as a chief cornerstone. I believe the Apostle Paul is the twelfth apostle. That's my, my belief. So, in this, we have gotten all the way down to point number four, where it says, and I too will love them. And then we're back in our notes. And show myself to them. This is the last phrase. We're going to go through a couple thoughts here. 
Christ will love them. Christ says, I too will love them. Christ will love them. The love of Christ is represented by him fulfilling his promise to come. Right? In verse 18 and 19, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's what Christ said. But there were conditions, right? All the way down to 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. We covered this. Just want to make sure that we're on the same page. There is a direct result in loving him. He's telling the disciples and keeping his commandments. It is that he will come to them. I will love them and show myself to them. Right, That's the first thought. There's a correlation between loving him and what he would then do. Since you fulfilled that, I will come to you. I will show myself to you. Point B. Christ will come to them through the ministry of the Spirit. Verses 15 through 17. We saw that in the context is that Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept. And that's where we delved off into this whole thing about God the Holy Spirit and what, how he is and what his emphasis is. What did Jesus say about his emphasis? He called him the spirit of truth, not the spirit of emotion. And we went through all of that. And, you know, I just want to make sure we tie this together. That Christ says, I'm coming back. Well, he didn't come back physically. He came back through the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. We need to make sure we understand and recognize that whatever happened at Pentecost, and I already know what happened, we, we've already uh, clarified that it was those five ministries of the Spirit that happened at Pentecost. It was the baptism of the Spirit. It was the indwelling of the Spirit. It was the sealing ministry, the filling, the gifting of the Spirit. No, don't worry about the order. <laughs> but those five things are what came as a result of Pentecost. And they make us who we are as church-age believers today. Now, of course, we had to be saved in order to experience those five things. Right? And that's another thought. But those five things distinguish us from all other believers in time. Those five things, those five assets. So that's what we're trying to boil it down to. So just understanding that it comes through the spirit of truth. Christ did not have a special coming where he showed up again behind locked doors to the disciples and said, I'm going to come to you. No, he's talking about him being leaving them and then sending the spirit. Right. So point C. He would show, where he says, I will show myself to them. So they would experience the presence of Christ, not physically. Because Christ, where is he physically? He's at the right hand of the Father. See, you know, he's there interceding for us and so forth and so on. <clears throat> but spiritually, that familiar presence they fully knew for the past three years. Now, when we think about that, Christ says, I will come to you. I will come to you. So maybe that's something we won't readily understand because we have not walked with Christ for three years. Right? We don't know what Christ's presence is like. But that, pres that promise that he gives to the disciples that I'm going to give you another counselor or comforter, 
and he will be with you forever. But within that comforter, guess who else is coming? Christ. Christ will be in us as a result of the Holy Spirit coming. So knowing when he says he would show himself to them, it is through the ministries of the Spirit that this would take place. We should assume that. I think it's a logical conclusion to make because of all that we have already read. He will show. So, so when we talk about the experience, it's not physical, it's spiritual. But I don't, by saying it's spiritual, I don't mean to say that it is invisible, something that you, you can't quantify. That's not true. And we'll see why later. But Christ is literally saying, I will show myself to you. You will get that I am there. And, and you will know it because you know the familiar uh, person I have been in the last three years to you. And I'm going to come back to you. You're going to know it's me. I will show myself to you. Interesting. Uh, he says it that way. So as I said, we may not recognize, we haven't walked with Christ for three years, but we will come to realize, as those after the fact who believe on him through the message, that we have the same experience that the disciples had. This is John 17, 20 through 22. That we are part of this promise. And we get the same result. Now, even though we will, Christ will come to us and we will experience the presence of Christ, doesn't mean that we will have that familiar understanding of what that is. It will be glorious. It will be wonderful. But it will be for the first time for us experiencing the presence of the Father and the presence of Christ within us by means of the Spirit. So it's spiritual. doesn't mean it's something that happens physically where you literally see somebody show up in the room with you or you hear him rustling in the back and you turn around and there he is. That's not what we're talking about. It's a spiritual understanding. It's a spiritual awakening of who Christ is in you. And that familiar presence they fully knew. They would be able to clearly say, oh, yep, he's with us. Christ is with us. Let's move forward. Point D, which is the question you all should have. (laughs) How does the phrase, show myself, work in them? Or I have to extend it to us as well. But really, let's, let's, let's understand how it works, right? We know some things about it already. We already discussed. It's, it's a coming through the Spirit. Now, I don't want to take away all of the, you know, mysterious nature of this. But I do want to talk about it from the standpoint of everything we know. We want to bring that to the table as we discuss this so we can say what... It is. Well, we might get to some areas where we we can say, well, we don't know, but at least we will have exhausted all of the areas that we do know about this. So that's what we're making sure we're covering our bases and we're bringing to bear the context in all of this. So, how does this phrase "show myself" work in them and us? So, so we're going to go through some things here. It looks like it's about nine point eight points of things that, uh, of how. 
that works. Point one, it is through the advent of the new ministry of the Spirit at Pentecost, right? So that's the first thing. We already know that. I know I'm repeating, but I hope, you know, the repetition helps to solidify and cement these things in your head, your spiritual head, that is. So it's through the new ministry of the Spirit at Pentecost, right? That, that's how it's going to work. Don't think about any other thing, right? And there was this example when Christ came in John chapter 20, and this is post-resurrection appearance of Christ. <clears throat> Literally, that's also when the Apostle Paul saw Christ, right? He says, over, not only that, over 500 people saw, Paul is saying, saw Christ at, at this time, right? We're not talking about post-appearances of Christ, post-resurrection appearances. We're talking about Christ going away to the Father. That's where we first started in John 14. Christ says, I'm leaving you. I'm going to go away. And then if I go away, then the Comforter will come to you. Well, we know all that happened through death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. What were things that you have to consider when Christ talk, talks about him going away? Now, he may qualify that when we get to chapter 16. We'll go through those verses where he says, well, I'm going away, but then in a little while I'll be, gone, I'll be back and then I'll be gone again. Yeah, we'll get to that when we get to 16. But here, we're talking about those four things. Death, burial, resurrection, and ascension before the Spirit could come at Pentecost. So that's point one, is through the advent of the new ministry of the Spirit of Pentecost. Point two is, it is not only faith, but it is reciprocal love from the Father and Christ. So just note, right, that's a condition. We already talked about that. So I can easily say it, don't have to spend a whole lot of time on what I mean by it is not only faith. So just because you believe in Christ, Christ is saying there are some, some conditions to this. Now, Pentecost happened for everybody. It's just to note, right? Every church-age believer is now uh, a recipient of those five ministries of the Spirit. Now, what he's talking about here has further conditions to that. And those are love, keeping the commandments right? from the motivation of love, keeping the things that he said, his commands, we have to know that the, those we can't just ignore that that's there. And he's and especially as from 21 and 23, we're seeing as a result of love, this is what the Father and Christ will do. Right? We can't ignore that. It's there. Love, and we already went through all that. We won't go through it again at this point. Right? So just to note, it is not only faith but it is reciprocal love from the Father and from Christ. When, when they talk about show myself or coming, the Father being at home with us, it's a matter of reciprocal love on their part. Say, oh, you, there's, this is the one who loves me. Well, then, if that's the one who loves me, then I will do this as a result of that. Point number three, it is not only... Uh, uh, it is the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit who is the deposit. Now, so of the five things that the Spirit will do for us, 
there's five of them. You can, we can go over them. The baptism of the Spirit. There's the uh, filling of the Spirit. There's the sealing of the Spirit. The indwelling and gifting of the Spirit. Of those five ministries, because we know it has to be within the realm of those ministries that the Spirit brings that Christ will come to us. Which one of them is the one that would best fit the scenario of Christ showing himself to us? And it would be the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, who is a deposit? So, a deposit, and we have to look at the word, and from the Greek, this is what we get. I don't need to say the word. <clears throat> what it is in the Greek, it's not important, and I might screw it up too. So, But anyway... A deposit from the Greek is a pledge that is part of the purchase money or property given in advance as security for the rest, or it's an earnest, right? So we understand that. So if, and I always gave the analogy, if you're buying a house, you go to the real estate agent, you tell him, hey, this is the one I want. He's showing it to you, and this is the one you want. So you said, well, write up a contract and I'll sign it and tell them I'm buying the property. There is this thing that they have to do right, to let them know that you're serious. You can't just put, you may be able to do it, but <clears throat> the right way to do it is to put down earnest money. That earnest money gets taken from the buyer and held by the attorney. And um, so once the, the seller recognizes that, hey, I have a buyer who is willing to make an offer and he's willing to put money up to, to say that he's serious about it, then I know I got a legitimate buyer on the hook here set for the seller. So that that's when the seller can say, okay, I could take it off the market. I don't have to market it. I got a buyer for my house. I, this is the deal, all right? And I know because he even put up money now, of course, if he backs away from it, he may lose that money. So the money is something tangible. It's not just his word that something is going to happen or he's going to deliver on the deal. It is literally money given. part of, And that money is not just some money. To, it's part of the purchase price of the property. So if the property was 500000 he may give 10000 as earnest money. So now he owes 490000 for for the property because he's already given ten. right? That's how it works. It's part of the purchase price, the purchase money or property given in advance as security. So when we read the sealing, one of the things we get is the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if we read... <clears throat> Ephesians, let's go to Ephesians, if you will. Ephesians chapter 1, what does it say about the Holy Spirit? Verse 13 and 14, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now there's salvation. How did you get to be in Christ? Well, I've said this last week. You believed in Christ. That's how you got in Christ. And the scripture for that is right here, as well as 
1 Corinthians 12, 13, where it says, By one Spirit, you are all baptized into one body, whether we're Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, it doesn't matter what you were, but now you are one in Christ. Now, in verse 13, you have, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. There it is. That's salvation. And what happened? Maybe you didn't know about this. But yeah, this is also what happened when you believed in Christ in this particular age. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Promised Promised when? Well, Christ has promised it. There's been lots of promises. We've gone over them. The context, they're ripe in the context right here. So hopefully you're tying these things together, right? Verse 13, you were marked in him with the seal. That's the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now you might not have known this happened, but it happened. The promised Holy Spirit. And verse 14 says it, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So God is guaranteeing something to us. He's not just guaranteeing us salvation. There's more than that. It's not talking about the redemption. It's until the redemption. The redemption has to do with salvation because God is going to uh, save us and part of that salvation is, well, we'll get a resurrection body out of it. And that resurrection body is the redemption of our purchased possession. That's when God is finished giving us all that he planned to give us when he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So, he's a deposit. A deposit is a tangible you know, evidence that God has given us something in this age in particular. What is that? That's something that you will know. Because just imagine if you're the seller and the person put earnest money down, but you didn't know it. So what would you think? Well, I don't know if that's a sure deal or not. I don't know if I'm going to take the house off the market because I'm not sure. I know mean, anybody can write a contract and say, you know, anything. But when they put that money down, the seller knows. Right, you, in this case, are the one receiving the guarantee. Because God is telling us he's got much more to give us. He's got, the deposit is a small amount. Might be 1%, might be 10%, whatever. It's a small amount of what we're going to get in the future. So that's why the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing. What is he guaranteeing? Our salvation? No. Our inheritance. For how long? Until the redemption of those who are God's possession. What do you mean until? Because once we get to redemption, that's the rapture. That's when we are, we'll be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the last trump. That means there's nothing. I mean, it's over. The life that we had here in the world is over. Either the rapture happened, uh, well, actually, it has to be the rapture, because that's when we are all together in one place, right, the church. That's when we receive our resurrection bodies. Those who died before do not precede those, uh, we don't precede those who have fallen asleep, and we're all going to, it's all going to happen together. 
it's a deposit. That's right? hopefully understanding that. And point number, uh, that was point four, describing the deposit. Back to our notes, point five, what is the deposit guaranteeing? Our inheritance. That's what is guaranteeing our inheritance. I also have John 16 and 12 here. Let's see what that adds to this scenario. John 16 and 12 says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. And I like the much more part in that. So what he tells us is the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more about this age that he has to reveal. But he can only tell us this because we can't handle all of it. But when the Spirit comes, yeah, we'll be able to understand more. That, that's the much more. That's point number five. So we understood that it guarantees our inheritance. What's our inheritance? We could ask that. Well, it's certainly not the land. It's not a land grant. Our inheritance is that we are sons. That God made us sons. I, our identity is merged with that of Christ as a result, again, of a baptiz the baptism of the Spirit, which is one of the ministries of the Spirit that happened at Pentecost. Our identity is merged with that of Christ. We're one with Him. What does that mean? Father's in us. Christ is in us. We are in them. We are in Christ, and as a result of being in Christ, we're also in the Father. That's what it means. That's the oneness that we now share as part of our heritage in this age. Yeah, it's guaranteeing our inheritance. And he has much more to tell us about it as we are listening through the, the epistles given to us by means of the Spirit. Point six. Paul says, The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. That's 8.15, Romans 8. Let's look at that. Tells us something about the Spirit we received. This is kind of uncanny that we are at 8.15 in our notes here. And this is on Wednesday night. We're doing a study of Romans, verse by verse, same thing. And it just happens that we're on verse 15. Right there, we're right in the middle of 15. Uh, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves again to fear. Uh, so as you live in fear again, rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So we just talked about what the inheritance was. It's talking about sonship. And then it introduces in A15, adoption. Right, this word that we discussed, in fact, on Wednesday, last Wednesday, we, we discussed adoption. and But there's more to say, but we'll get back to that. Um, but it, it is to note that we are sons. Now, that won't be finished until the redemption of, of the purchased possession, right? God owns us, but God will redeem the body, right? That's Romans 8.23, right? we have that a little later where it says, um, 
Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, there it is, what happened at Pentecost, grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. There you have it. Yeah, it's all hopefully coming together for you there. Yeah, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, it's interesting, a further point seven, this note, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's the very next verse in Romans. So 16 says, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is a literal understanding into your consciousness. This, so you could believe something by faith, yes, it you, the transformation part is where you begin to live it by faith. And this part here is where the Spirit directly communicates to us through our spirit. This is literally breaking through to our consciousness. What is being said? What's the point of him doing this? That we are God's children. And 17 starts this whole chain of things that happen. If we're children, then heirs, and then we're heirs of God. And then concluding, we, we, and if we're, and we're joint heirs with Christ. I mean, it goes on and on. But this is the much more that Christ had to tell us. But he couldn't. And don't think he didn't know all this. He knew every bit of it. He's the one that informed the Apostle Paul. He had much more to tell us, but now that we have the Spirit, now that we have all of this, we are able to have the capacity to understand it. And we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit not only being our capacity, our competency to understand the deep things of God, so that we can understand the things that God has freely given us. So, so what is this show myself to you? This identifies with the ministry of the Spirit that allows God to break through to our consciousness and show us that we are, in fact, sons, that this is true. What's true? What has Jesus been talking about? Oh, that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. Believe me when I tell you this is happening. This is a real thing. This is a spiritual dynamic that's happening, then he says, don't worry, you're going to have this. This will happen for you. And it, the condition is that you love me just like I love the Father and I do exactly as the Father's commanded me. That dynamic was happening in Christ. It will be happening in you. And what does it show? It shows this new revelation of this age that we are sons, we're in Christ, we're not of this world. I could go on and on about what this new age brings. So the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We're sons. This is a part of it. This is part of the ministries of the Spirit. How do we get to be sons? One of the ministries is the baptism of the Spirit, where we're identified with the person of Christ insofar as he is in us and we are in him. That is important. And you know what the interesting thing about this 
is God didn't just say, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make this part of who you are. I'm going to give these assets to you, and this is true of you now. This allows us to have internal evidence that God has done this, that we belong as sons, that we're part of the family. We be, that it gives us spiritual identity personally that we get to this point. Well, God didn't just say, okay, I'm going to make it so. And, but he says, I care that you also have tangible evidence of this for yourself. That you are, in fact, my son. You're in that role, just like the original son. You're identified with him. I think God didn't leave anything to chance here. He says, I, not only will I do this, but I will also give you the sealing ministry, a deposit, guaranteeing what I'm telling you to be so. Hopefully you get the understanding of this. That this is what he means when he says, I will show myself to. Then the disciples will know for sure. They will have surety that the spiritual dynamic that was going is going on in them is what Christ was telling, telling them. And then it will give them hope. Because they... They still got more to go. They got to still live this. They still have to be the foundation of the church. But note, for us, the spiritual dynamic does exist in the church. And it is available to those who love him. So point eight. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. And heirs of God. Right? This is So I've said... And point eight, heirs, what does that mean? It equals inheritance. And that takes us right back to Ephesians 1.14, where it says, and when you heard, you were marked in him, the gospel that saved you, and you were also included in Christ, and you were marked in him with the seal, who is the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Well, here, Paul is rounding it out for us. Inheritance equals takes us right back to the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. So hopefully, just Christ says, and I too will love them. Christ loving us is showing himself in this manner to us. When we walk away from this, we know that the result of him loving us is telling us not only that we're sons, but showing us that we're identified with him. A very special relationship that belongs to this age. So point E in our notes, and we're finishing. I know it is about time. Yeah, just about there. What a wonderful promise. I said thank you. When you, you have to stop. Meditate on this a little for yourself. Think about what God is telling you. He's not only giving you all of these things. He's saying all these things about you. But now he's giving you tangible evidence that this is in fact true. 
And there is one condition that he's given you here. Love. So go back and review Ephesians 17, 3, 17 through 19 as what we have seen being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. This is for us. All of this is part of the dynamics of this age that we happen to have our feet planted in. Make sure you plant your feet in this age firmly and not one foot in Israel and one foot in the church age. Don't be like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and teaching by the cunning and craftiness of men who lie and wait to deceive. Grow up in Christ. Come to the understanding of who you are Come to love him in this very special relationship that has been afforded us. We're going to have to quit. Next week, we will continue in John, verse 22. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We're glad that we had this opportunity on Father's Day to talk about your plan. To, to discuss the glorious revelation from the Father that is now in Christ. So it is our objective to be transformed. We, there's no rush. We enjoy it. So we're going to take it a little bit at a time every day to be transformed into his image. We're going to continue to make good decisions as we forge ahead in synergy with God, the Holy Spirit, leading and guiding us into all truth. We thank you for those who have joined our study. We thank you for this privilege that we get together and are able to discuss these things. Thank you for this church. We thank you for the forum that we have. We pray for those who are represented here, their families and the situation we're in in the world as well. All this we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.